All right, good morning, good morning. Man, what a great day, what a great day. Hey, if we get stuffy in here, we can open that door up. But uh, you don't need to now, but don't be distracted by having the doors open this morning. God's good. And uh, isn't he? And man, I hope you've been reading ahead in Genesis. Uh, y'all getting a lot out of Genesis, going through Genesis? I am, man. I'm, I'm getting a lot out of it. God's, God's using it in a big way. Uh, maybe it's just for me and Bill. I don't know, you know. Sometimes it works that way, doesn't it? But uh, hey, just a little recap. We finished up Genesis 3. Adam and Eve disobeyed God, right? They ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as a result, there's what? Consequences, right? Bill's message, truth or consequences. So there's consequences for their sin, right? And in the aftermath of their consequences and their living in that, God reveals a plan of salvation. Man, how cool is God? How, how awesome is God that even at, now you think it snuck up on God? That, that's the crazy thing. That's the thing that blows my mind, okay? That's the thing that just, just literally does blow my mind. God created Adam and Eve knowing what they were going to do. He created us knowing what we would do. God knows ahead of time. From day before God said, let there be light, God knew everything that was going to take place. He knows who are going to come to Him, and He knows those who will not. It's not up to us, is it? Now, we need to live like it is, right? I think we need to live like, hey, man, I, I want to live my life in such a way that it draws all men to Jesus Christ, right? But it's not up to me whether people get saved or not. It's up to the Holy Spirit of God, right? Because look, man, if the Holy Spirit can't change a person, if the Holy Spirit can't draw a person, if the Holy Spirit can't change a knucklehead, <laughs> who are we to think we can, right? But we need to be that influence, right? We need to be a light in a dark place, right? If the lights are on in the dark, somebody can see where they're going, right? So let's be that light, right? So praise God, man, for God's plan of salvation, right? Then we saw that in Adam and Eve. There was repentance, right? First thing they do when they, when they sin against God is, is do what? They go hide. They hide. They sow fig leaves together to cover themselves. So we see, we see their repentance because God comes calling for them and they walk out. It's, here, here I am. Now, they were reluctant, right, because of fear. They were reluctant, but they do step out of hiding, Right? See, the first plan of salvation, the first thing we have to do, there has to be a faith and trust in God and God's Word. Okay, without that, we can't, we can't move any, any further, right? And it has to be a faith and trust that pleases God, right? Not one that pleases me, but one that pleases Him. And then what did, what did God do? God covered them, right? God covered them. He, he, hey, the first death in the Bible. God took the life of the first animal in the Bible to cover Adam and Eve. So we know there was repentance. God's not going to cover them if they're not willing to repent, right? So that takes place. Look, it's God's covering, not ours. You know? And sometimes, man, you know, I, I've, I've met people before, and we talk about that, and so, J.D., I just, I just can't. I can't. Okay, well, sometimes, sometimes God has to take our fig leaves off, right? Are you willing if we surrender? Hey, I'm surrendered to your love. That last song, sometimes you just got to say, Lord, I, I can't take this off. I've got so used to it. I've got so comfortable. I can't take it off, but here I am. Would you take it off for me? You know God will do that? He'll do that. You just got to be willing to surrender to it. 
And then I love this, man. Regardless of our circumstances on earth, God provides for our eternal security in Jesus Christ. He knew if they went back to the garden, they would eat from the tree of life, right? Satan would tempt them again. Then they'd live forever in that sinful condition that they were in. So God had to banish them. God had to drive them out of the garden. You know, God has to drive us out of some things in our life. God has to put us in some situations. God has to do some stuff in our life that's kind of painful sometimes, isn't it? For our eternal security. And then God's plan of salvation provides a living hope. Man, praise God, right? Even in those circumstances, there's a living hope that we have, man. And, and, and you know, we, we endure, we suffer, you know, we, we persist, regardless of what happens in our life. And the, the word that came to my mind there was fortitude, right? Now, what's fortitude? Anybody know? Fortitude is having backbone, guts, and courage in spite of my situation, right? That's fortitude. And that's what that living hope is, man. It, it, it gives us the courage to stand and to go on and do and, and be the person that God's called us to be in spite of what's going on in our life. So that was encouraging last week for me, man. Even though they screwed up, you know, anybody screw up? <laughs> even though they made some bad choices, even though they were disobedient, God had a plan of salvation already there, okay? Same thing's true for us because we screw up, don't we? We make bad choices, don't we? God's got a plan of salvation for us too. So here we are in chapter 4 today. Chapter 4, we're going to go through probably verse 16, try to make it through there before 6 o'clock tonight. <laughs> Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Start there in verse 1. So Adam makes love to his wife Eve. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. And later she gives birth to his brother Abel. And it says, now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. Now, a couple of things hit me here. First of all, Eve gives birth to two boys, right? Cain, now remember, remember in chapter 3, verse 15, what was God's promise? One of your offspring, Eve, is going to come and do what? Crush Satan's head. You're going to, he, you know, Satan's going to bite his heel, but you're going to crush his head. So she has a boy, first child born, right? And she's thinking, oh, wow, wow, this is, this is God's promise. God promised us. God, they didn't have verse and chapter back then, okay? So she didn't say, hey, in chapter 3, verse 15... That didn't happen, but she remembers the promise, right? Hey, God promised some, my offspring was coming to crush Satan's heel. And she's holding this baby. She's thinking, could this be the Messiah? Could this be, could this be, you know, that's, that's the hope that she has. That's, that's, that's Cain. The name Cain means acquired one or he's here. So that's what she's thinking, right? And then Abel comes and, and, and his name means breath. You know, it's a breath of life, right? They're and it's a living hope. And I got to thinking about that. I thought, wow, man, here they are. They're not sitting at, at, at the gate of the garden. They're not sitting and soaking and mourning and drowning in their sorrow. 
They, they, okay, God's given them a plan of salvation. Now they're moving forward. Yes, there, there's some horrible circumstances for their disobedience. Okay? But they're moving forward in the living hope that they have. Y'all see that? Man, that's encouraging for us today, is it not? Look, some of us are in some horrible situations. Okay? Some of us, uh, maybe it's a decision we made. Maybe it has nothing to do with the decision we made. It may be somebody else's decision in our life, right? But we're living in some horrible situations and some horrible circumstances. Okay? Man, there's a living hope in that. With God's plan of salvation, we can move forward in a living hope and honor and glorify God right where we're at. So, man, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, how'd you get all that out of that? I don't know. Maybe the Lord just spoke to me. and that, Maybe that was for me. But I wanted to share that this morning. That there's a living hope, man, that we can go forward and we can live. So don't, when, stuff, when bad stuff happens to you, man, don't just sit and soak and sorrow in that. God's given us a plan of salvation to get up, have some fortitude, right? Some backbone, some courage. And let's, let's exercise the faith that he's given us in that living hope, right? Man, that's why we need each other. That's why we need these small groups to help us in these times, okay? So I want to encourage you. That's a commercial. Get in a small group if you don't have one because you need it. And if you don't need it right now, you're going to need it before long because stuff happens to all of us, right? So now, there's not a lot of details about Cain and Abel's early life. But they grow up, and Cain, he becomes a farmer, right? A, a tiller of soil, and Abel grows up, and he tends flocks, you know, probably sheep and goats there. And here in verse 3, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And, and Abel brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. So here, more than likely, man, Adam and Eve, more than likely, are, are, are sharing and, and, you know, what the Bible say, train up a child what in the way that he should go so they're they're teaching more than likely they've shared about god they've shared about how god created all this they've shared about you know hey what's that cherubim and what's that flaming sword about over there mom and dad what's what's that got you know they probably saw that so they're probably they probably shared with them well son uh your mom and i we made some bad choices and that was our home but we got kicked out we got evicted because of some of the choices that we made. So I'm, I'm sure that they, they, you know, Cain and Abel have heard all this, and Adam and Eve had, had shared that with them. And uh, so here they are, and they're 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 offering to the Lord. I'm assuming as Cain, I mean not Cain, but Adam and Eve are making offerings to the Lord. You know, the first sacrifice. God killed an animal to cover them. So I think you see at this time it's not the law. This is just something that that. Adam and Eve were doing to honor God and making offerings to Him. The Bible's not clear, it doesn't say, but you know, I, I think maybe those offerings were most likely taken to the garden, okay, to where the cherubim was. Because anytime you read in the Bible about the cherubim, uh, the cherubim or, or those angelic beings, there's usually praise and worship associated with the cherubim. Okay? And also, the flaming sword. Now, what's a flaming sword? I, I, I believe, personally, I believe that represents God himself. Look at Hebrews 4, 12, uh, yeah, 4, 12 and 13. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest, sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. 
Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. Then Revelation, well, where are you getting a flaming sword at from that? Well, look at Revelation. There's, there's your sword, double-edged sword. Look at Revelation 1.16. This is in John. Remember John the Revelator? Okay, he sees, he sees Jesus and all his glory. Here's one description of him. Verse 16, he had seven stars in his right hand. A sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. So may, maybe that flaming sword is a representation of God himself. Those, the cherubim are there. There's worship, there's, there's praise. You know, at the entrance, maybe the garden is where, there's the, that was God's presence, wasn't it? That was God's presence, that was God's fellowship, that was God's provision in the garden. That was perfection that he had created for Adam and Eve, and they lost that. So I think maybe the offerings were taken there. We don't know that. But they're taking offerings to the Lord, man, and, 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 and they're making sacrifices to him. And here in verse 4. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Man, what, what's up with that? Why, why would God look favorably on, on one offering, on Abel's and not, and not Cain's? What, what, what's going on here? Well, Cain's offering, notice it said, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And notice it's, it's fruit. There's no sacrifice involved. I'm bringing some of my fruit. It's almost like it was an afterthought, right? Cain's headed back to the garden. You know, he's got some stuff he's got to till. He's got to plow some stuff. Like, oh, man, i got to get my offering. Where's my offering now? Let me grab this couple of ears of corn here. There's a couple of cucumbers. Here's a couple. Oh, man, I'll get that, that, that squash about to go bad. Let me get that and take that to the Lord on my way. That's almost like it was, right? I mean, I don't know. I play movies in my head. But here's what it is, man. It, it wasn't his best, was it? It wasn't his best said he presented and offered some of his crops. And it's as if he kept the best for himself and he offered God what was left. Maybe it was his leftovers. I'm going to give God my leftovers instead of giving God my best. Abel's offering. Abel also brought an offering. Look at what he brought. Fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. How do you get Fat portions from an animal. I grew up, man, we killed hogs. My granddaddy had hogs. My other granddaddy had cows. So we were either killing hogs or killing cows. Now, we took the cows to be slaughtered. Somebody else did that. Because there was a whole lot of work in killing a cow and slaughtering a cow. But hogs, we killed hogs. We killed about 8 to 10 every year. We did that when I was in middle school all the way up to high school. Because grandma and granddaddy had a bunch of youngins, and you know we we did one hog for every family, and they put an extra one in the smokehouse in case somebody had a need, and somebody needed food, then grandma and granddaddy would go give somebody a ham or piece of a ham or whatever. So, man, you had to slaughter that animal to get the fat portions. Okay, the fat portions came from the internal organs. It was the best part of the animal. Why was it the best part? Well, you could use the fat to cook with. You could use the fat to make other stuff. So. Abel took the life of an animal, right? What does Hebrews 22 say? Hebrews 9, 22. 
In fact, according to the law of Moses, nearly everything was purified with blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. What did God do to cover Adam and Eve? He took the life of an animal. And then Abel, man, he gives the firstborn of his flock. In other words, he gives the best. He picks out the best and gives that to God. He, he didn't hold nothing back. He's just giving God his best, right? Now, God may have looked unfavorably on Cain's offering because of what it was. No blood spilt. You know, he's given his leftovers. But more than likely, here's what I think it was. It was a heart issue. All, guys, isn't it always a heart issue? Guys, our willingness to surrender, our willingness to sacrifice, our willingness to give, our willingness to make offerings to God, isn't it always a heart issue? It is. Our giving to God, our offerings to God should be sacrificial, right? We should give Him our best, not our leftovers. We should give enthusiastically out of a love for God, not reluctantly or, well, I guess I need to, I guess I need to give the Lord. I guess I need to, I guess I need to read my Bible. Man, look, it just this isn't, this isn't just assets. See, sometimes, sometimes we think it's just assets. No, man, look, this is my attention, this is my affection. Okay, these are my abilities and also my assets. What, is that, what does that encompass? Huh? That's all of me, right? All. Guys, I'm telling you, God's not satisfied with a piece of you. God's not satisfied with 9 to noon on Sunday. God's not satisfied with a little. God God's kind of selfish. God's God. God wants all of you. He wants all of me. And you know, God's not going to stop until he's got us all. Until he's got everything. He wants, why? Because God loved us that much. Think about what he did on the cross. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to die for us so he could have a little piece of me. God wants all. He wants everything. Man, that's a game changer. And today, man, look, look, look sometimes we, we, we think about these things and we read this. And for years, man, I read this and I thought, you know, I thought about our tithes. I thought about our offerings, you know. And I just I completely didn't think about my attitude, my affection, my abilities. Man, God wants that too. He wants my best, not my leftovers. God wants me to sacrifice that part of me too, right? But there is in the church, man, a lot of opinions, confusions around giving and, and our offerings today. Look, man, where are the first time folks at? Where are you first time? First time? Go ahead and raise your hand. I ain't going to call you out. But <laughs> don't, you're showing up today. We're talking about offerings. We're talking about giving. We're, look, we not, y'all, y'all, we don't ever talk about money, do we? Now, we don't talk about money. We don't, we don't spend a lot of time on money. But that's where we're at today. Okay, I think we need to address this, this part of it, okay, and not ignore the elephant in the room here. So, uh, a lot of people going to leave, man, that's all that church talks about is money. No, it's not. <laughs> that's not. It is not, okay? But look, does God still, because there is some difference between Old Testament, right, 
There were Old Testament principles in place, and, and we're living on this side of the cross, right? There's some New Testament principles in place. But let me ask this question. Does God still spec, expect us to make sacrifices and offerings to Him? Is the tithe and offering obsolete in the New Testament? What do I give? How much do I give? What do we do? I mean, there's a lot of questions like that. So, look, under the, under the uh, Old Testament, that's Mosaic law, okay? There was a tithe. Now, tithe, you got to understand what the words mean back then. Sometimes you got to look it up because that changes the whole perspective. Tithe means tenth, okay? That did not start in the law of Moses. Guys, that started with Abraham. If you read Genesis 14, okay, Lot... Their family, they came in, some, some, some raiders came in, took their family, Lot and Abraham. They go out, they get the their, their women and children, they get their stuff back. And this king, Melchizedek, which was like a, a, it was a form of God that, that shows himself to Abraham, he, he comes and Abraham gives him a tenth of everything in honor of God. Okay? So that was before the law. Now God used that later on in the law, right, for the priesthood and the temple, etc. And uh, plus there were other, other offerings that were required that were beyond the tithe. But tithe means tenth. Now, in the New Testament, the tenth went away. Okay? The tenth went away. But guys, the offering didn't go away. Okay? The concept, the principle of sacrificing, the concept and principle of making offerings to God didn't go away at all. Now, instead of a tenth, Old Testament was tenth, New Testament, what is it? We give all of ourselves, right? Hey, I'm not making this up. It's in the Bible. Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1, Paul writes, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, chapter 11, he says, therefore, what's therefore, therefore, go back to chapter 11. It was about the incredible mercy and riches of God that's available to everyone. He says, look, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a what? A living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. All of my attention, all of my affection, all of my abilities, and all of my assets are to be laid at the altar for him to use as he wants, as he pleases. And that's the attitude that we have to go into in the New Testament. So a lot of people are like, well, look, the tithe isn't on the New Testament. You're right, it's not. God wants all of it. God wants all of us. Man, when you, when you live with that perspective, man, that changes everything. Think about your marriage. Think about your wife. Think about your kids right now. Are we giving them all? Are we going into a marriage where I'm going to give them? Well, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to give them 25%. Huh? What about our job? What about our, our service to our military? Man, I know some of you guys, you didn't give... 25%. When you signed that dotted line, what were you signing away? You signed your life away. When we come to Jesus Christ through faith, through trust in Him, guys, the same thing applies. I'm signing my life away 
to Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm yours. I am not mine anymore. I do not belong to myself. I belong to you. Use me as you please. That's, that's the concept now. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 8, Paul said this, look, remember this, a farmer that plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one that plants generously will get a generous crop. You must decide, listen to this, you must each decide in your heart. See, it's a heart issue. Ain't nobody can tell you what you got to give. Ain't nobody can tell you what you, you, know, what, what you offer. You've got to decide in your heart how much to give. And he said, don't give reluctantly in response to pressure. God loves a person that gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul, here, here, Paul's talking to the, to the church there in Corinth, but he's also talking to other churches. Now concerning the collection or offering for the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of the week, what was that? Sunday. They met on Sunday. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. So as you've prospered, you bring your offering as you've prospered. Man, has God's blessed you? Then give to him as you've prospered, right? We give based on how we've been blessed, how we've prospered. And in Acts chapter 2, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but look, when somebody in the church struggled, verse 45 there, it's chapter 2, verse 45, this was the early church. It said they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Right? Man, these people were crazy. These people were all in. These people, were so, these people signed their life away to say, Lord, I'm yours, use me all my attention, all my affection, all my abilities, all my assets. That's the, way this, that's the way they live. Guys, that's the way. Nothing's changed, right? That's the way Jesus' church should live. That's the way we as the body of Christ should live. So this principle and concept of giving and sacrificing and offering to God did not really change from the Old Testament to the New. We've just surrendered all. We just surrendered all because God surrendered all for us, right? And I've heard people, man, people, well, it doesn't really matter. It does matter. It does matter. We just read about that. It does matter because it's a heart issue. It does matter. It matters what we give. It matters that we make sacrifices and offering to God. Look, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19, through 21, and in verse 24, look, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. What, what did Jesus say? Store up your treasures where? In heaven, where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. That's while we give. That's why it's a heart issue. And in 24 he says, look, nobody can serve two masters. Notice the example that he uses here. You will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now why did Jesus use money here? 
Because money is a powerful, powerful idol, isn't it? Money's a big God. I know. I lived it until I was 35 years old. I mean, of everything else, man, in our life, money can get a hold of you. Money can just get a hold of you. It can choke the life of Christ out of you. And look, man, if God wants to bless you, God, and look, man, I know some people God's blessed. Okay? I know, I know some rich people. Okay? I'm not talking about, you know, got a couple hundred dollars in their pocket. No, I'm talking about a couple hundred thousand in their pocket. Okay? God's blessed them. You know why? Because they're giving people. Every time they turn around, they're blessing somebody or giving something away or doing, they're blessing. And you know what? They've given so much away, God keeps giving them more. And they can't, they, and I, I had a guy tell me that. I said, man, I can't, I'm trying to outgive, I'm trying to give it away. And the more I give away, the more God gives me. Why? What's, what's, what's the issue there? It's hard he's not keeping it. He's not hoarding it. He's not using it for himself. Now, he ain't living in no cardboard box, okay? I mean, he's got a nice home, but you know, it ain't the Biltmore house. But his heart is a heart that gives. He's like a river, right? A, a river. It flows through, right? It just keeps flowing. It's not a dead sea, right? And people have asked, hey, man, what, what do you and Kelly do? Well, look, we give 10%. We give 10% on gross. I had a, a preacher of mine at First Baptist Church, you know, and Kelly and I talked to him, Mike Penry. Uh, God bless you, Mike. We asked him one time, so man, you give on the net or you give on the gross? He said, you want God to bless you net or gross? I said, well, there you go. That saddles that. I want God to bless me on the gross. But why, well, why do you use 10%? Because if I don't have a standard, if I don't have a target, if I don't have something that I'm using in my life, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to spend that money and I'm going to cheat God. I'm going to bring God something left over instead of giving him my best. So that's why we use the 10%. Okay? I'm not saying you got to do that, but you got to have some kind of standard for how you're going to give God your best for how you... Don't give God those leftovers, man. Huh? And that's not just with assets. That's my attention. That's my affection. That's my abilities. Right? What is our standard that we're going to use just to glorify God, man, and... You know, with money, with money here, money, man, money's a money's a, a sensitive subject. You know, you talk about money and crazy. Bill and I don't we don't know what nobody gives here. We've got a team of people to handle our tithes here. Okay? We've got a CPA that handles all that. I don't know what people give, okay? I, I want people to give because, man, we, we need to we need to give. God's people give, right? We give so we can pay the light bill here, but also so we can bless people. Also so we can minister to people, so we can, so we can turn people on to Jesus Christ. Okay? So that, that's, that's why we give. We don't, I don't know what you give. Okay? I, we see the bottom line. That's all we see. Okay? Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not so good. We just pray. We pray for God to change hearts, that we would be a giving church, that we could just absolutely rock this community. For Jesus Christ. That's what we pray for. And God, y'all know, y'all don't hear a whole lot about money in here. Okay? And God gives him a warning. Look at this. Verse 6 and 7. Enough, enough of that. So, look, if you got issues with that, see Bill, see me. Let's talk through that. If there are issues with, with giving, if there are issues with, with that, let's talk about it. Because if you don't talk about it, what are we going to do? 
We're going to make up stuff in our mind. We're going to fabricate stuff in our mind, okay? What J.D. said, no, let's talk about it. Let's have the conversation, okay? Talk to me. If, if you don't want to talk to me, talk to me or talk to somebody. But let's have those conversations so we can honor God. Because that, that's the bottom line, man, right? We all want to honor God, amen? That's it. So here, verse 6. Then the Lord says to Cain, hey, why are you angry, man? Why are you, so, why are you, why are you mad? Why is your face downcast? Why are you so dejected? Look, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, man, look, look, underline this, underline this in your Bible. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Man, God calls him out, right? I don't think it was because of his offering. I think it was because of his heart. Because if our heart is right and I bring God, what the, the, the lady, I don't remember where it's at, Matthew 14, Matthew 5, I don't remember. The widow who put her two little copper coins in, what did Jesus say about her? He was standing there watching them. They were bringing all these gifts, and Jesus, Jesus calls her out and says, she's given more than everybody. So God calls him out, right? He convicts us. Right through his word, through a real brother and sister in Christ, right? Through prayer and circumstances. So here, God is convicting Cain through circumstances. And you know, the solution to Cain's anger and his dejection was repentance and obedience to God. Do you know that hasn't changed? Do you know the, the key right now, the answer to everyone's anger? And everyone's dejectedness, is that a word, dejectedness? Everyone's feeling of dejection, being dejected or downcast. Do you know the answer is repentance and obedience to God? Cain, we don't, we don't know all the details here, right? We only know what was written and given to us. Cain could have or should have traded some produce for a lamb, right, or a goat, and then taking the lamb or goat and sacrificed it to God. He could have. But he didn't. And then he says to his brother, verse 8. Hey Abel, let's go out to the field. Come out here man, I gotta, uh, let me show you this new tractor. It's a John Deere. Come on, let me show you this new tractor. And while he was in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. Man. First time somebody in the human race has died. And it's at the hands of Cain. Cain ignores God's warning. He just ignores it. And here's the word that hit me this week. Cain is, man, Cain is angry. He's filled with pride. He's filled with jealousy. But you know what? More than anything else, he's filled with defiance. Defiant. Have y'all ever had a defiant child? Y'all ever known anybody who's defiant? Huh? Any of y'all ever been defiant? Some of us still are, aren't we? See, this is why I believe Cain's offering wasn't the issue. 
His heart was the issue. Chuck Swindoll, I, I, Kelly and I, we do a devotion every morning from Chuck Swindoll, Insight for Living. And, uh, he wrote a book called Avoiding Stress Fractures. Uh, and this was in one of our devotions this past week. Here's what he shared about people who are defiant. I want my own way. I want my own way. I won't quit until I get it. I don't care who it hurts. I will not listen to wise counsel. And then last, I'm not concerned or I don't care about the consequences. Guys, that, that, that's defiance. And that hit me this week because, man, that, that was me. Until I got saved in 1998, that was me. And I thought, man, whew, God, forgive me for being like that. And man, when God speaks to us, when God convicts us, when God gives us a warning, when we know we need to repent. Now, I believe Cain knew, right? I believe Cain, he knew, knew he needed to repent and obey God, but he just was defiant. He chose not to. When we know what we need to do and we don't do it, and especially when God has convicted us, given us a warning, guys, we're being defiant. Some, some of us here today, maybe online, have been, God's been speaking to you for months and months or years and years, and you just will not surrender. You're not going to do it. Defiance. It's defiance. Then in verse 9, the Lord says to Cain, Hey, where's your brother Abel? You know how he caught out to Adam in the garden? Adam and Eve sinned and he went and hid, right? He comes down to cool to Eve. Hey, Adam, Adam. Now he's doing the same thing with Cain, right? Hey, hey, Cain, where's your brother at? Look at the defiance, man. God knows what's going on. He's doing the same thing. Now, why is he doing this with, with, with Cain? He, want, he wants Cain to, to acknowledge his sin, right? He wants Cain to repent. I mean, God wants every one of us to repent, okay? That's repeated over and over and over with everybody who's ever been born. God wants us to come to repentance, okay? Notice what Cain does. Hey, where's your brother Abel? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Man, talk about, the. you can hear the defiance, you can hear the pride, you can hear the arrogance, you can hear the disrespect, can't you? I mean, man, it just jumps off the page. Am I my brother's keeper? Look, man, aren't we our brother's keeper? I mean, if we've got Jesus Christ in here, I think we are. I think, I think we are our brothers, or we're supposed to be, right? Man, it's almost like he was spitting in God's face, wasn't he? I mean, man, that's, ooh. I mean, and the Lord says, Lord says, verse 10, what have you done? He gave him another opportunity for repentance, right? Three times here now, the Lord has given him an opportunity to repent. Then he says, listen, 
In other words, he'd say, hey, Cain, shut up. Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And then Cain says to the Lord, My, my punishment's more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land. I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. And then Cain adds this, And whoever finds me is going to kill me. Apple don't far from, far from the tree, does it? Eve added to God's word, right? Now here Cain's adding to God's word. But look, sometimes there's a lot in what some people don't say. Do you notice what Cain doesn't say? He never apologizes. He never apologizes. He never, he, there's no apology to God. There's no sorrow, nothing, no remorse for killing his brother. 15, the Lord answers him about someone killing him. He said, look, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will, be, will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain that no one who found him would kill him. Now, we don't know what that mark is, but it was a sign to everybody not to harm Cain or God would take vengeance seven times over. Verse 16, so Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod. Nod means wandering. East of Eden. And man, even in his, even when he departs and goes out, Cain is still defiant. Notice what he does here. I think it's in verse 17. But it says, 16, Cain goes out from the Lord's presence, lived in the land of Nod. He settles down in a town called Nod. He settles down and starts to build a city. What did God say your curse was? You're going to be a restless wanderer. Cain goes out and says, yeah, okay. And he builds a city. The city's called Nod, which means wandering. Hey, I'm wandering, God. I'm going to build this city. And we'll see next week, man. But does it not? Does that not? Do we not see the defiance in Cain? The arrogance, the pride, the attitude. And you know, today the, the message isn't really about offering that was brought, is it? The message isn't really about the offering. The message is about the heart, isn't it? It's about our heart. We had one, Abel, who was willing to surrender. His heart was in the right place, and he brought God an acceptable offering. And then we've got Cain, who was defiant, arrogant, proud. He brought God his leftovers. And even when God approached him, he's still not willing to repent. Three times, still not willing to repent. If our heart isn't right, if we aren't willing to repent, I think the same thing that God told Cain is true of us. Hey guys, I've been speaking to you for a long time. 
I've been sharing my word to you for a long time. I've been revealing myself to you for a long time. Sin is crouching at the door waiting to have you, but you've got to rule over it. See, chapter 4, here's a lesson for us, all of us. Because guys, when I read that, I read those five areas, six areas about being defiant. Did you see yourself in any of that? I saw myself in that. Even, even as one who's given her life to Christ, man, I still see myself, I still see that defiance in there. And man, do you know Isaiah 59 2 says our sin separates us from God. If there's any defiance in my heart, man, that's separating me from God. I don't want to be separated from God. So we've got to repent of that and we've got to obey God and we've got to rule over it. And here's three scriptures, man, and I'm going to close with these that came to my mind about our defiance and about repentance and obedience. First one comes from James 4, <clears throat> 6 and 7. It says, God is against the proud. You can insert defiant in there, right? God is against the proud, but he gives what? Grace to the humble. So give yourselves completely to God. How much does he want? Give yourselves completely to God. Guys, that's attention, that's affection, that's abilities, that's assets. Stand against the devil and the devil will run from you. That's how we rule over it. First through repentance and then through obedience and then standing firm in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I, I don't know... I don't know if there's anything greater to devour us than defiance, right? Than pride. He says, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember, your, your uh, family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. And it hit me when I, when I read that verse, I thought, man, we are our brother's keeper, aren't we? we got brothers and sisters all over the world that are following Jesus Christ, going through the same thing we're going through. Stand firm. That's why we need each other. Hey, I am my brother's keeper. You're my keeper. Let's help each other. Be, be strong. Be stand, uh, stand strong. Maybe at times, man, we may have to help a brother or sister when God's warning us instead of ignoring that. Because you know, you know what a real friend would do, right? A real fan would say, hey, J.D., look, man, God's been trying to warn you, brother, and you need to listen. You need to repent, and you need to obey. That's what real friends do, right? And then last, Ephesians 6, 10 and 12. Look, a final word Paul writes here in Ephesians. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, because you can't do it on your own. Apart from Jesus Christ, apart from the Holy Spirit, we can't do it, right? Put all of God's armor on. And I thought, wow, isn't that being clothed in Christ? Huh? Be, 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 put all of God's armor on. Be clothed in Christ so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. See, Cain wasn't fighting Abel, was he? 
He took it out on Abel. Look, we're fighting against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This is why repentance and obedience is so critical. The Holy Spirit, guys, must be allowed to rule and reign in our life or that sinful nature will. Let me repeat that again. Guys, y'all come. We'll finish with that. The Holy Spirit must be allowed to rule and reign in my life. If not, that sinful nature will. And you know where we'll find ourselves? We'll find ourselves being defiant against God. And guys, that's not a place where any of us really want to be. Man, this morning, search your heart. If you've been defiant in, in some area, man, surrender to God today. It's not going to get better in your defiance. It's just not. Let the Holy Spirit rule and reign today. Father, I praise you. I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for the example today. It didn't take long, Lord. It didn't take hundreds of years, thousands of years, for that sin nature to manifest itself. This was Adam and Eve's first child. And Father, I think you've given us a great example today of how we're to come to you. It's not really about what we're giving you as much as it is my heart to want to give to you. Lord, really right now the only thing that I can pray is to help us, help us to see and, and, and admit if there's any defiance in our life, any pride, any anger, any jealousy, that separates us from you. Lord, help us to make that right through repentance and obedience. Help us to be restored to you before sin has its way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.